You're listening to The Way Out, creating financial freedom through network marketing with Andrew Logan. This podcast is your step-by-step guide to building and growing your own business and creating passive investment vehicles. If you crave legacy, wealth, and freedom, keep listening. Hello and welcome to The Way Out Podcast. Andrew Logan here. Great to be with you as always for another episode, episode number 60 today. Nice to celebrate those nice round figures and the milestones along the way as we go. And before I jump into today's episode, I want to thank everyone who is listening, who was with us for the Freedom Fest. We had a fantastic day of, you know, fantastic online event, wherever people were watching and tuning in from around the world, a lot of great feedback. And I've been nervous for months about all this, but everything kind of worked out. Only a couple of little technical hiccups along the way, but the event worked out and it was great to have all the support from everyone. So I want to thank everyone who is listening to this for listening and supporting the podcast. And for those who did join us for the Freedom Fest as well, I want to thank you and honor your time. And I hope you got a lot of great value and I hope you have a great roadmap for your future and finding your financial freedom. And on the topic of finance today, I want to talk about the markets and just the general markets at the moment. You know, if you follow the markets from afar, you, you, you'll know, like it's, it's a bit hard not to know at the moment that everything's just hitting record highs. And, you know, there's cryptos are all booming and people are calling for, you know, Bitcoin to be half a million dollars a coin, um, not too long away. The S&P, the Wall Street, all that is they're having huge, huge gains. Property, property all over the world, especially in Australia and and where we live in Australia, especially things are just flying off the shelf. Money is a little bit loose. (laughs) You know, interest rates are very, very low, which means money is a bit loose, which means people are getting out there and spending. And it's probably a little bit the opposite of what we thought kind of 18 months ago when the world went into lockdown, there was a little bit of a a shock in the markets and everyone was a little bit fearful for a bit. Um, But since then, everything has really rocketed off. It's ahead on the pathway to financial freedom. And really, are we looking at GFC2? Like, is GFC2 around the corner? Because if you dig a little bit deeper, things aren't always as good as they seem. And as I say, you know, sometimes the grass is greener because it's kind of fertilized with some BS, you know, and maybe if you start to scratch the surface of the stock market, it's not quite as rosy. But does that mean we are going towards a GFC too? Or is this just going to be a little bit of a temporary blip? Or are we at the very, very bottom of the next bull market and this is the time to buy? Now, of course, a crystal ball would be fantastic. I mean, we would all love one of those, but we don't have them. And in, you know, when we can't look to the future, but we, we can go back into history and learn from history. Because history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And history can be very instructive. So we can look back at things of the dot-com boom and the cryptos these days, there's a lot of similarities to the dot-com boom, uh, what, you know, 20 years ago now. And then we look at GFC and we look at some of the stocks and some of the big firms, some of the big financial firms alongside the property market and the booming property market, thanks to loose money supply, we start to see a lot of similarities. So if we're seeing the similarities, does that mean the same thing's going to happen again? Are we just running towards this GFC too? Because, you know, as I said, bullish sentiment, like people thinking the the bulls of the market, things are going to keep going up. Bullish sentiment has never, ever, ever been higher. And when they say it's always darkest before the dawn, it also works the other way. You know, it's always the best market, the most optimistic market, the most bullish sentiment ever, right before the biggest crash ever. 
So are we looking at GFC2? Now, my opinion, and of course, this is not financial advice. This is my opinion. My opinion off the bat is that we won't see GFC2 because we we just won't get another kind of GFC um, in that regard because a lot of people, if you go back and study the GFC, you know, you go back 13, 14 years ago, and there are some fantastic documentaries. There's some great Hollywood movies, like, you know, the big short, a Hollywood version, but there's some great documentaries on the GFC. There's a fantastic one on iTunes called Inside Job. You know, you go back and look at that, and a lot of very successful, very powerful people were caught with their pants down. You know, and they were kind of caught like saying, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And meanwhile, this tower is collapsing. And then one or two final Jenga pieces got pulled out and the whole tower collapsed. And these people kind of got, you know, caught blindsided. So I don't think we'll see the same thing because now they're looking for it. They learned from that and they're looking for it. But that doesn't mean there aren't Jenga pieces that could come out. And the big one that happened last week and the big one that prompted this podcast was you might have heard of a Chinese property firm called Evergrande. And they have $300 billion in debt. Now, just to fathom that, a billion is a thousand million. So they have $300,000 million of debt. I mean, think about that. Think about that for a second. That is how much money they owe other people. Now, 15 billion of that is due before the end. And they had a big payment that was due the other day that they didn't actually manage to pay. So people are like, oh, you know, Evergrande will be the Jenga piece that brings down the GFC like we had, you know, Bear Stearns and, and, um, you know, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and all that kind of stuff last time. But again, people are looking out for it this time. They know what happened last time. So it's not going to be the exact same Jenga piece, but we can learn from this. Because if Evergrande owe $15 billion just this year alone and $300 billion in total, chances are pretty good they owe that to someone else. And the chances are even higher that the people they owe it to owe it to someone else too. And that's how our monetary supply works. And that was really what, you know, the CDOs and, and um, you know, these exotic Wall Street packages of the GFC that was the problem that bet was being kind of bundled together and sold off to other people. And then they were bundling it together and insuring it and selling it off to other people. And so we've seen another capital, a financial capital firm, Greensill's Capital, failed a few months ago. Now we've got Evergrande failing. So what is happening down the line? And I think this is where we need to be a little bit cautious. What is happening down the line where these companies that are expecting this payment to come in, they're expecting money from Greensills, they're expecting money from Evergrande because they've got um, obligations to other people as well. So there's the first ripple effect that we need to be aware of. As I said, you know, Wall Street, we look at Wall Street, it's the highest points ever, it keeps going higher, and everything's yeah, 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 yeah. But again, if you start to scratch the surface, since the GFC, you know, a lot of CEOs got in trouble, a lot of CEOs got sacked, a lot of them just got, you know, golden handshakes, a lot of them got bonuses, a lot of them got bailed out. But what they really did was then the US just turned money supply very loose, it put its interest rates right down. So these companies went out and they just bought back their own stocks. And over the last 13, 14 years, the majority of stock purchases have been companies buying back their own stock. Now, that inflates the stock price, obviously, because, you know, there's less supply. So the demand is higher. So the price goes up and the emotions that go with that. 
But the reality is that they're not investing in the company. They're just buying it back because it helps the stock price, which makes them look good. And as a CEO, they probably own some stocks as part of their you know, pay packet. So that's helping their back pocket as well. And what we're seeing is a lot of companies now don't actually have infrastructure in place for growth. They've been going up in value, but they actually haven't been offering that value to the marketplace. Their shares have gone up, but they haven't reinvested in new technology. They haven't reinvested in new supply chains. And we're having real big supply chain problems around the world. So what's going to happen with all these companies that have huge valuations, but it's only because they're buying their own stocks. So there's another thing we need to be worried about. Okay. And again, as I said, you know, bullish sentiment of Wall Street, it's never been higher. But we should always be skeptical when the vast majority all believe one thing, because the masses are normally wrong, unfortunately. So then we move to kind of property, right? Like we've got this huge property boom in, in most places around the world. And again, what's driving this? Because where are the people who are buying these properties? Like they've got to sell one to move to another. You know, they're just moving around other properties. All these properties are going up. It's coming from loose, cheap money. You know, people can get loans without too much effort and interest rates are in most kind of countries around the world are at their lowest ever. Now that is fantastic in the short term, obviously, because people can go out and buy houses. But what if they can't handle the smallest amount of increase in the interest rates? What if they've been given money that they probably shouldn't have been given because the banks were just so keen to print these loans because interest rates were so cheap? People who normally wouldn't buy the really nice house, normally they're just sticking at the modest house. They say, you know what, actually, we're going to upgrade and go to the nicer house. And they leverage themselves out. And when we see this, again, we get you know reverberations and we get memories of the GFC because the other side of the coin was that while there are all these you know debt you know packages happening in Wall Street, people were buying houses that they couldn't afford. People were given loans that they couldn't afford. And once interest rates crept up, then they all defaulted and they had to sell these houses. And when you have to sell out of desperation, you're selling at lower prices and that's what drives the market back down. So the biggest challenge in the property market is we've got inflation happening. And again, there's uh, supply chain issues, which means demand goes up, which means prices go up, which means inflation goes up. And the only way the government can control inflation is to increase interest rates. They have to tighten the money supply. They have to make money more expensive. And the US alone, the US right now are removing $120 billion a month out of the money supply. They've been adding $120 billion a month out of money supply. Like that's ending. I shouldn't say they're removing, they're stopping adding. But essentially they're just reducing, there's $120 billion a month less of a money supply happening in the US. Now what happens when that happens all around the world? And what we see, the biggest thing about the GFC and the, the kind of thing that was unique about it and the thing that I really see happening here and even worse here was it always used to be kind of stocks are good at the moment, but property is a bit flat. And then property would have its boom. So people would move their money out of stocks and move it over to property. And you kind of general main markets, you know, you kind of got your commodities, your Forex, your property and your shares. And, you know, I did the investing 101 series a little while about that. You know, they're your sort of four main classes. You'd normally get one and maybe one and a half booming at one time, but it would move and the money would move between the markets. You know, energy is not created. It's just moved from places to places. The thing with the GFC was that you had Wall Street and commodities 
and property all going up at the one time. And that was what was crazy. Kind of all these things were going up together. And that's where, that's why it was so big. It was so massive because three massive towers came down. Now we've kind of got all four towers going up. We've got commodities booming. As an Australian, we're a big mine. We just dig stuff out of the ground and we sell it to China. That is booming. We've got property booming. We've got Wall Street booming. We've got currencies booming. And that's amazing in the short term. But what happens when all four towers come down? Because they're all going to be like together. You're not just going to have a, a little like issue over here and it doesn't affect everything else. We've got this contagion where if one of them sneezes, everything else is going to catch the flu. And, you know, I mean, that's the problem in the world at the moment too, right? <laughs> you know, without going too far down that path, there's some other things going on in the world at the moment. But the saying was always, you know, when when China or US sneezes, the rest of the world catches a flu. That was the saying in the markets. It's the same now in every market. If the property market sneezes, Wall Street's going to go down as well. Commodities are going to go down as well. Currencies are going to go down as well. So personally for me, it won't be GFC 2 because we've seen GFC 1 and we it won't happen again because too many people are looking out for it now. But something has to happen. This is not sustainable. It might take six months. It might take 12 months, but something is going to happen soon and it's going to catch everyone off guard because if we caught it, it wouldn't happen, but something's going to happen that's going to catch us off guard, and it, in, you know it's going to be worrying. It's going to be concerning because the amount of money out there, the loose and cheap money that's out there, is not sustainable. And once we see inflation increase, and again, if you look at charts of inflation, it's it's like inflation is right at the point where it was right before the GFC. So again, we're seeing similarities like the charts of inflation just before the GFC and the charts of inflation right now, very, very concerning. But something's going to happen and something's going to come down and there's going to be a lot of pain, unfortunately, for a lot of people. So what can you do? Like, you know, if, if it's going to happen at some point, and I think it will, and again, this is not financial advice, but me, I would prepare myself. I would prepare and I would look at how leveraged I am. You know, I'd look at debt I've got. If I've got investment debt, good debt, bad debt, whatever it is, how close am I to the edge? You know, can I afford some increases in interest rates? You know, Andrew and I love property. We do buy a lot of property. We own, you know, we have control and own a lot of property, but we always make sure we're not that far leveraged. We're not leveraged to our eyeball where the smallest interest rate would crush us. You know, we can handle a few. We could easily go out and buy a couple more properties tomorrow, but then we'd be too far leveraged. So you need to look at your leverage, like look at your debt levels, look at your credit cards. Do you have personal loans, credit cards, all that kind of stuff? Any reduction of debt, whether it's good debt or bad debt, any reduction of debt is always one of the best financial decisions you can make. And that will prepare you for any problems that happen, but will always put you in a better position as well. I'll talk about that in a sec. If you can fix some of the holes in the bucket, you're going to have more water in the bucket. So the first step is to check your leverage and reduce any debt that you have and be in a better position because then that leads us to two, which means that we have some cash reserves. If we reduce debt, if we get on top of our debt and we reduce our leverage, that puts us in a better position to buy if things do go wrong. And I would never want 
things to go wrong because a lot of people get caught up in the ripple effects. And that is the problem of finance in the world that big, powerful people play games with each other and the mum and dads and, you know, the average middle-class investors and all that kind of stuff get caught up in the wash. They get caught up in the ripple effect and we're the ones that pay the bills in our taxes and all that while the governments are bailing out these big companies. That is a problem, but we can try and protect ourselves so we can have some cash reserves that we can, A, be there if we need, but two, we can buy when things settle down. If there's a crash and we've got some cash reserves, we can go in and buy things when they're 30, 40% off. So if there's good properties out there at the moment, but they're just a bit too expensive, after a crash, they may become cheaper. They will probably be a bit cheaper. If there's good stocks out there and you want to buy some stocks for your children, they're probably going to be cheaper soon. You just need to have that discipline and patience. If we're buying right now, we could lose a lot of money. Now, again, this is just my thoughts. This is just my opinion that it, this isn't sustainable for much longer. The, sec the third thing, beware of the hype and don't invest with FOMO. So going on from that, I mean, have cash reserves ready, get rid of debt and be ready because again, there's going to be a lot of people like, oh, you don't miss the boat, don't miss the boat, don't miss your boat. Guys, I'll tell you, crypto, you've missed the boat. You know, I, I know I can be critical at times of crypto because I, I'm worried about the the hype that is surrounded. I am in no way worried about the technology. I think the technology is fantastic. I'm worried about the hype in the market. Now, yes, if you got in four or five years ago and you bought these coins four or five years ago, yeah, everything else from here on out is speculation and gambling. It is hype. It is FOMO. We have to be aware of that. Okay, you know, those long-term safe financial investments are gone, unfortunately. But there, again, there will always be another opportunity. There will always be another opportunity around the corner as the markets go around. It is always better. And the final thing, sorry. So we've got get rid of your leverage, you know, pay down your debt, have cash reserves ready so you can act, you can be safe and you can act. Beware of the hype and emotion. And finally, remember, if you do have things that are going well, again, this is not financial advice, but it's always better to leave a party a bit early than a bit late. And you can never go broke if you're taking your profits too soon and just, you know, taking care of them. Apologies, by the way, if you can hear that in the background. That's my dog snoring. She's just asleep beside me. She just let out a huge snore. But yeah, it's always better to leave a party a little bit early than a little bit late. And you'll never go broke in the world taking your profits too soon. So remember, financial freedom is a process of patience and discipline. It's not a game of trying to chase that Grand Slam home run as we go. You know, we just always need to be patient with that. So I think something is coming. I don't think it will be GFC2. I think people have seen Evergrande, they've seen Greensill Capitals, and they've like nipped it in the bud because we got caught with our pants down last time with that. But something else is going to happen. I don't want it to happen, but I'm aware of it and I'm going to prepare myself. And you can too, if you're willing to be disciplined and patient. So just finishing up the podcast today, I want to thank our subscriber of the week. It was Jubes22 at Instagram, Jan Reynolds. Put up a great photo out exercising, listening to the podcast, learning while they're going for a run. Got the Dubai skyline in the background. So great photo. Thank you for that. And if you send me your address, I'll send you out a gift to say thank you. Anyone else, if you want to be subscriber of the week, take a screenshot of your device, 
pop up on your stories. Let me know what you've learned out of today's episode. Let me know what you're liking out of the podcast or let me know other episodes you'd like me to cover, topics, things that are on your mind that I can help you with. Otherwise, guys, as always, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast. I want to thank you for listening in and we'll see you again later on this week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Way Out, creating financial freedom through network marketing. Connect with Andrew on Instagram and Facebook at Andrew James Logan. For your seven-step system to financial freedom and other tools and resources to help you grow your business fast, go to www.andrewlogan.net. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Until next time, keep moving forward.